Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, the opening three verses. I invite you to listen again for the word of the Lord as it is there written. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading is from the Gospel according to John at the opening of the second chapter. First 11 verses again, I invite you to listen here for a word from the Lord as it is there written. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Today is the third Sunday in the new year, providentially, in this morning's lectionary appointed gospel reading. From the second chapter of John, in an account about a wedding reception that is full of details, our narrative begins with this one, a temporal introduction. We are told that this takes place on the third day. On this day, at this gathering, wine... They have not, Mary tells Jesus. And it was true. Uh, The guests had gone through it all. They'd used up their supply. But Jesus was there. Fear not. His mother knew he could do something about this predicament. Indeed, this is the reason Jesus had come. Because the people were in need. 
They were in need here of wine. Again, not just that consumed by the guests at this reception, but that which he and only he could and would pour out to seal the new covenant. I can imagine the exchange that might have taken place there between mother and son going something like this. You, Jesus, my boy, you can provide the wine. Yes, mother, but my time is not accomplished. And she says, no, no, not that. I mean, you can meet their immediate need for refreshment and making glad of their hearts. And he's saying, oh, that, right. And then Mary turns to the host's staff, who are referred to in the Greek by the author of this gospel, not as common slaves, but as diaknois, servants of the house. This is the word from which we get the term deacon. And the ministry that we support in Worcester County, the Echonia, once again conjuring up for us images of a religious function. To these people, Mary says something extremely forward for a woman and extremely profound at the same time. She says, do whatever he tells you. In the story of the wedding feast at Cana, The servants do as Jesus commands. The empty stone jars get filled with water. And about those sturdy vessels, fashioned from the foundational element of land, solid rock, mind you, these are no ordinary stone jars. These are barrels that are expressly for storing baptismal water. Imagine someone swapping out the waters of our baptismal font or even those of the baptism pools in some other churches like the ones Mark, your father, would have served. These barrels that were there were reserved for storing the water that was to be used in a Hebrew religious ritual of purification. But here they are set aside from their ordinary sacred purposes. And so we use the same language when we have our own sacramental rites based on such ancient rituals. We say that these elements are set aside from their ordinary purposes for a sacred purpose. Here, the sacred vessels are set aside for an ordinary purpose that becomes a sacred purpose by Jesus, the one whose creative powers are about to be on display as he brings order to the chaos that would have ensued in this celebration of a union between opposites, man and woman. Do, therefore, whatever Jesus tells you to do. Church, you servants, of the house of God. You go, Mary. In 2022, how will we respond to this 
directing. The author of the Gospel, according to John, added that immediately after he tells us about what happens here at the wedding reception, on account of what takes place, his disciples believed in Jesus. We who are gathered here today in his name profess also to believe in Jesus. But what is a belief without obedience? We can, after all, believe in a great many things. I was reading an anecdote about alternative baptisms recently, which apparently is a thing among those who call themselves spiritual but not religious. Those who have a fondness for the trappings of church ceremonies without wanting to commit to the God who ordered and stands behind and lives within them. Accordingly, some updates and minor modifications have been made to the litanies so that they would more accurately reflect the beliefs of the participants. One such baptism took place outside of Paris, where an infant child was dedicated not to and in the name of the Most High God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but rather in the name of the tripartite ideals upon which the French Republic was founded. Equality, liberty, fraternity. We can and we do believe in many such things indeed. But belief in equality, as one example, has only ever gone so far. We know from history that many social experiments in equality have been attempted over the centuries. In most of our lifetimes, we've been able to experience the failure of one of the largest scale efforts of engineered equality in human history, the USSR. Some people believed in Marxism, but the political realities of that belief were never matched by strict adherence to its principles. As Orwell would write, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. It's one thing to believe in something or someone, and another thing to give over fully to obedience in that belief. Today, we venerate ideals such as diversity, which seems as if it should be self-evident. Being no respecters of someone's gender or race or social background, such principles were at the heart of what the Apostle Paul was writing about in his letters to the early churches, that we've all been created, whether male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, he said, all of us are precious in the Lord's sight. And if the Lord plays no favorites, then we shouldn't either. But frequently, for those who champion a belief in diversity, the ideal plays out in very undiverse ways. Those who advocate tolerance are too often intolerant of those with whom they don't see eye to eye. This morning's adult Sunday school lesson was all about not playing favorites, about equity and justice, and about the price to be paid if we take these things 
seriously. And there was a fascinating illustration that I'll share with you who weren't present for that from this morning's lesson. It talks about an award that is given out by the state of Israel called Righteousness Among the Nations. It is given to those Gentiles who contributed greatly to protecting the Jews during the Holocaust. And one of those who is honored in this way was Jane Matheson Haney, a Scottish evangelical missionary from the United Free Church of Scotland, stationed Budapest, Hungary, beginning in 1932. When war broke out in Europe, her church advised her to return home, but she decided to remain among the people she served and loved at a girl's home comprised mostly of Jewish girls. When the Nazis invaded Hungary in March 1944, the German SS began deporting Jews to the concentration camps, and on account of her efforts to aid her Jewish girls, the Gestapo arrested Haining, and she also was sent to Auschwitz, where she was murdered. In 1997, she was recognized as one of the righteous among the nations. And the author goes on to make this observation, that her heroism is both remarkable and unique. Nevertheless, although it takes courage and boldness to go against the crowd to do God's justice, our actions need not be as remarkable and as unique as Haining's. When God calls us to act justly, there is often a price to be paid. But the cost pales in comparison to pleasing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we say, I believe in Jesus, it's in for a penny, in for a pound. We aren't granted the luxury of redefining the terms of our allegiance. We can't renegotiate the covenants. And that makes such service downright uncomfortable at times. But this hasn't stopped us from trying to make it less burdensome on ourselves, though, as we seek ways to sand down the rough edges of a God who would ask us to sacrifice some of the sins that we hold so dear. Do what he tells you, you servants of the house. This can still be a hard thing to hear and even a harder thing to comply with. But let's reflect for a moment on what happened when these words were heard and obeyed at Cana. Or perhaps we might consider what might have happened if the servants had said either aloud or to themselves, you're not the boss of me, Miss Mary. After all, they were in service to a master already. They were in the home of his dominion. Had they decided to ignore the instructions that were given by Mary and then those that were given by Jesus, well, then the guests at that reception would certainly have run out of wine. But more importantly, the sign which Jesus was to reveal in their midst to be witnessed and remarked at by those present, not least of whom were the disciples, would have that day gone undone. 
That being the case, then it seems the choice of obedience made by the servants then had profound consequences. And if it was so with them, then I wonder, what about us? Does it matter if we believe only with our heads and not with our hands, feet, tongue, talents, and treasures? If we give lip service only to the cause of Christ, we know, after all, that God is omniscient and omnipotent, meaning that he knows all and he has the power to do anything. So why might any of this matter at all? Why might what we do have any consequence? Yes, it is true. God could, on his own, do whatever God has ordained to do. The biblical record, the word of the creator with his creation, and we, his creatures, tells us that this covenant God, though, has chosen not to go it alone. He has opted instead to invite us, you and I, into his divine work of redemption and new creation. He's going to do the stuff that he alone can do, of course. But for the other tasks, he's invited us to pitch in alongside. If we don't, well, I suppose he'll just get it done some other way. But if we do, there are blessings to receive along the way, both for ourselves and for others. Since the time of Abraham, as we were reminded again in this morning's reading from the Old Testament, we have been blessed that we might be a blessing. And Father Abraham was a fellow whose belief in God was reckoned unto him as righteousness. He was bold enough to put his money or his son where his mouth was. He believed in God. He trusted in God. He obeyed God. And as a result, we have received blessing upon blessing from the same God. And so it was with Jesus. He too was obedient to the direction of God, even more so than Abraham or, or anyone else before or since. And he and we have been blessed beyond all measure as a result. The disciples, though at times seemingly quite reluctant to commit were given the opportunity to grow into their nascent faith. And all of them who outlived Jesus seem to have done an excellent job of maturing, of becoming more the people Jesus saw in them when he called each of them to his side and service years before. So again, I ask, what about us? How firm is our faith at the start of 2022? What do we believe and how will that determine how we live throughout this new year? I pray that throughout these months, the Spirit will embolden us to live more fully into our profession of faith, that we would each receive the strength necessary to follow the directions of the one that we say we believe in, and that in so doing, we and the world will be blessed. And for that, we may truly say, 
Thanks be to God and 